Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on March the 4th of 2019. I am Nick here with Chris, and we got some weird shit to talk about today. So, yeah. Nick, uh, you ever sometimes start picking at your toes and you find there's like kind of this green stuff in there? No. But you're like, I've never worn green socks in my life. So you're like, where did that come from? No, it's never happened. Oh, okay. Is that the kind of weird stuff we're talking about today, though? No. Oh, okay. no, we're not talking about gangrene. No. All right. Well, I've got an entire list of things. It's just it's fucking out the window now. So, okay. No, we're not I talking about we the find different... something else to talk about. No, Chris, I'm sorry. You've got to wait until the Bleeding Pus podcast uh, before you get to talk about all the different uh, things that come out of your body that really shouldn't be. You know uh, what? I oddly enough have stories for that, too. Yeah, we've got. I'll, the spoiler for that podcast, every single episode uh, features, if this sounds familiar, go see a doctor. Um, so <laughs> I cry out my ears like I don't think there's a medical emergency attached to it, but you should still probably go see a doctor. <laughs> I, I, I would just do it. I don't think the tear ducts go over in that direction. <laughs> These might be two unrelated phenomenon. You're connected together, but I would still just go see a doctor. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it does remind me of the of you know a number of times when I've been you know horribly dehydrated, and then I take a shower, and then all of a sudden like everything that's like I I need I need to like not you know produce this liquid because my body needs all of it. Suddenly all of it kicks in at once. So you know I'll take a shower and then suddenly I'll just cry and my nose will run and I'll drool all at once because finally I've got enough water in my body for it to all kick in. It's a really weird feeling of simultaneous relief and disgust and shame. Yeah. A little bit of that too. Oh, the trifecta mm. then <clears throat> relief, disgust, shame. I believe those are the, uh, emotions we're going to see in the next inside out too. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> are they planning on making a sequel to that? I hope not, but <coughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of, it, it, I mean, it made enough money, I guess. Anyway, uh, this, I mean, we could spend, you know, the next 10 minutes talking about like yeah, potential Disney sequels, but we also could not do that. So uh, we have some really honestly kind of gross stuff to talk about in the manga this week. So I think that we're just going to get into it and um, no, like easing ourselves into it because a graphic murder takes place in My Hero Academia this week. Spoilers. Uh, as we get into chapter, <clears throat> sorry, into chapter number 218, the Meta Liberation Army. And uh, things start out innocently enough. It's December. It's uh, really s- cold and snowy outside, so people are running out to play in it from uh, Class 1A's dorm. Um, Kirishima is taking his shirt off because he's a weirdo like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suyu is apparently... Uh, literally freezing because she is a frog yes makes sense cold-blooded i believe yeah Uh, that was a big uh point plot point in uh one of the filler (laughs) episodes in the last season that uh they were lured into like this uh warehouse and then the temperature was kicked down so that she would go into hibernation not a very good episode honestly but it was a filler episode so there you go so it's not like the the grade school science involved in that is the reason why I can never be a supervillain. Mm. A lot of people be like, "Well, she's a frog girl. You just attack her like a frog would." And I'm like, ah, "By sending lions after her, I feel like that's like, <laughs> a pretty universal sort of thing, you know?" 
<laughs> you never learned the predation of. I'm like, why do they eat frogs? frogs? I assume lions and other big cats. <laughs> um, the th- the detail that stands out to me the most in all of this is that Kaminar is apparently just this massive dork because he's like, let's check out what they're saying about snowfall. I love watching the weather forecast. He's the spy, guys. He's the spy right now. I'm calling it because <laughs> he was trained on how, how do you he do, did... fellow kids? He's like, <laughs> let's go do what all the youths enjoy doing. Watch a weather forecast. You ever notice when you look at Kaminari in a different light, he's got a full grown beard and he has a bad back? <laughs> He's actually 75 years old. <laughs> I love watching the weather forecast. Those nice young people make me feel so welcome when I watch the TV. They make me feel like people are talking to me. <laughs> and I trust their opinions. Kaminari, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, I mean, I love doing regular kid things like playing stickball. Yes. <laughs> Um, and he follows through on this because later on, yeah, he like mans the TV when turning on the news and shit. Um, other in other news that's going on, uh, they also bring up how Todoroki and uh, Bakugo are going through the last lesson and their remedial uh, peers license course. Uh, and we get we cut to uh, the two of them along with Kami and uh, Yo- Yorashi. I almost call. I almost, you know, just went to use Chris. What's his name? <laughs> so that you could call him Wind Guy. <laughs> With Tornado Dude. Yeah, Tornado Guy. Tornado Dude. There you go. Uh, and they're still training with Gang Orca. And he says, "Hey, if you guys pass this, then you will have provisional licenses, and then I'll be able to get rid of you assholes." So let's do it. There's a bug. Um. Shit, was that in the, the script as well? I don't have a script. I have notes that are no, uh, very... No, I mean, like, in the script of the, the, the chapter. And the gang is like, all right, guys, let's do this training. Oh, fuck, hang on a bug. Bugs, <laughs> I hate bugs. Like, oh. As a whale, they're my natural predator. <laughs> <laughs> you can find out more about whales and their natural predator of bugs from Dr. Christopher's but every animal hates each other <laughs> animal kingdom class <laughs> and I'm like and the natural predator of the snake is everybody whales whales that's right whales and snakes don't like each other because neither of them have arms so they they both fight each other ah. <laughs> hey that guy's like me in that he doesn't have arms and is different in every other way I don't like him <laughs> I'm gonna kill the shit out of that sea snake um, so Kaminari brings up as some of them settle in to watch the weather broadcast, I guess, with him that, uh, he, the only time that he's ever really been able to beat Todoroki and Kirishima, not Kirishima, uh, Bakugo, my bad, is, uh, that, uh, he got his license co- course, uh, his provisional license ahead of them, which prompts several people there to say, don't be so petty, except for Shoji, who's like, you have several standout qualities of your own. And it's like, Okay. Thank you. <laughs> can't insult someone. He's just too nice. Anyway, they turned on the weather forecast and they catch like the very tail end of it before they're like, and now we move on to the week's top stories, which happen after the weather forecast, as we all know. Uh, 
And the big news is that Detnerat, I have no idea how you're supposed to pronounce this. It's a very strange word. Uh, a big player in the lifestyle industry has formally entered the hero support sector. We get a commercial with the CEO of Dinnerat, who manages to go completely unnamed in this entire chapter, as far as I could tell. I didn't catch his name come up at any point. He's just the CEO slash unimportant person's child, but we'll get to that. So this guy's got a very sharp nose, a uh, very high widow's peak. And he introduces some, uh, you know, people with quirks, a gentleman with a handsome coat of fur, a beautiful woman who happens to have forearms, this weird gel boy. Look at that dude in his weird mouth. I don't yeah, trust you him. freakish monster. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm going to throw rocks at him. So disgusting. And they get I judge you all. Get away from that monster, my beloved sea otter man. There we go. I think I finally got it. Well, uh, gelatin's the natural enemy of sea otter because it is. <laughs> uh, another Dr. Christopher. Of walrus. Jello gelatin. They it's an animal. Uh, so the CEO says that, you know, ever since the, you know, industrial revolution, mass production and consumer culture were expanding. And then suddenly when quirks kicked in, that phenomenon came to an end because now you can just mass produce clothing. Everyone had these different needs, different body types, different sizes. And so we have made a point as a company of never forgetting that history. And we create products to suit each and every one of our customers. And now we are stepping into the world of heroes as well. And you can expect big things from us. And we cut to the present with the CEO uh, watching the commercial along with his secretary uh, Miyashita, who is a, he's very similar to like the cops we've seen in the series and that he's got normal body, but like an animal head. And he looks like he's some sort of like rodent kind of thing. Uh, very kind of like mascotty in a way. He's a very uh, cute face. I, mm -hmm. I sense good things coming for him. He'll have a long tenure in my hero academia. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he actually is, you know, apparently has move this. out of the way, Suyu. The internet has a new furry girl to jack off to now. That's a girl. <laughs> yeah, no, the internet will find a way to jack off to it, though. Anyway, so uh, the CEO just kind of uh, makes a self-deprecating remark. I was like, ah, I just kind of wish that you know we could have put something in the commercial to hide this ridiculous forehead of mine. And me, she's just like, that's a selling point, though. Um, and they seem to have a very, you know nice relationship. Miyashita is able to kind of joke around with him and sort of insult him. And he just kind of laughs it off. And, uh, they, they talk for a little bit, uh, before the CEO brings up, uh, yeah, you know, our history with, you know, people with, a uh, with meta abilities, uh, is, I think is going to, um, do something that we, we will give us an advantage as we get into this new field. And Miyashita takes pause at this because he's like, but you're talking about meta abilities. It's, ah, sorry, I meant, I meant quirks, but I've got this book on the brand. And he holds up a book, which is a re-release of the Meta Liberation War, which, uh, as Miyashita points out, it was written by the Meta Liberation Army's commander. And he says, yeah, I tried reading that, but, I mean, ah, all those acts of terrorism he was responsible for and all doing all that stuff to all those people – 
yeah, he tries to to write about how it's liberating this, liberating that. But the entire time I read, I couldn't help but picture the guy as a ranting criminal. And all of a sudden, the CEO kind of like slumps and like grabs his head and he says, hey, Miyashita, you've got no one who will miss you if I kill you here, right? He's it's like, like, well, I, un- you are correct oh. on that. Where is this going? Where is this going, sir? <laughs> no one will call the police if you mysteriously go missing, right? Yes, that's correct, sir. Why are you hugging me from behind? <laughs> is it finally time? Are you going to confess your feelings to me? I've and, always uh, dreamed of this day, crack. The CEO breaks his neck. Uh, as and as he's getting really worked up going through going and he starts to rant saying that, uh, you know, you've worked harder than anyone in the company, Miyashita. But what a shame. I was considering introducing you to the other members. Even if you'd refuse, we might have found another way to go about this. Alas, we won't see eye to eye and uh, just fucking snaps his neck. Although he cries over having done this. So uh, bit of an unstable guy, the CEO is. And we see no Nick because he cried. It means he's a good guy. You see, Thanos loved his daughter. Yes, and even though he thought he loved her, it means he's everyone's wrong, and he actually is a good guy. He's actually a good person. That's right. Just like Handsome Jack. Yep, these are all good people that uh, people just misunderstand. Like Yagami, good person, Mm -hmm. hero. Obviously, he cared about his dad briefly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all those police's fault for, you know, trying to stop him. That's why they had to die. It was for justice. Just so, the real victim in all of this. Oh, and those cops, I guess. <laughs> those cops, I guess. Um, notably, while he when he does this, he has this little birthmark, these two little black dots uh, above his brow. And they start to spread when he gets really angry and start to creep down across his eyes. Uh, and we get a narration after he kills Miyashita saying after the chaos brought out by the advent of the extraordinary people wanted peace. They started planning ways to coexist with metas. But among metas themselves, there was a pervasive desire Liberation over suppression. Wielding one's abilities freely seemed like it should be a basic human right. Chikara Yotsubashi, the man who unified the liberationists to form the Meta Liberation Army. He called himself Destro, the one who would destroy the status quo. While the government trudged ahead with the legislation, Yotsubashi opposed the powers that be and fight for supremacy. But he was defeated in a struggle. His army dissolved. He was arrested. Many of his followers were caught. The man himself did some writing in prison before taking his own life. But unbeknownst to even to Yotsubashi, he had a child out in the world. And we see as uh, the CEO heads to a meeting with some mysterious looking figures who seem to greet each other with a you're a loser kind of sign. But they, they do. They do. If you aren't watching the video, they put like, you know, they make the L sign. But instead of like holding it up like an L to the forehead, they put the thumb to the forehead. It, it is L on the forehead. What is that reminding me of? I guess it's that an iconic line from some song. She was looking pretty dumb. Oh, there it is. Putting up the sign of liberation with her finger. Under her. I, I assume that that's what this is. This is like liberation starts with an L. But anyway, they're like, we're such a cool villain group. No one even gets our cool liberation side right now. 
I can't wait till the world sees just how dangerous we are. They have this portrait of uh, Chikario Tsubashi in their meeting area, and we see that he has this kind of Rorschach-looking uh, blot across his eyes. And when the CEO approaches them, the birthmark has spread to also very similarly cover his eyes and uh, the parts of his face surrounding it in this kind of... Uh, this domino mask almost like uh, pattern. So the clear implication, they don't outright state it, but I think that we can very safely assume that this man is the child that Yotsubashi has. And the CEO uh, basically talks over the plans that they currently have in place, which are to uh, oppose the League of Villains because the government is struggling to handle them. It's up to us. And he says, I swear on Destro's good name, we will end the League of Villains. So another villainous organization that doesn't like the League of Villains. I do like that the villains are such assholes that they can't cooperate with each other. Uh, so there you go. They're all bad in different ways. Yeah. Or for different reasons, I should say. They also bring up that the country is apparently full of those who lie in wait hoping for... And as they say that, we cut to somewhere in the street where there is um, a guy with a mask who... I don't know. He seems to have some sort of like, I don't know, water powers, I guess. They, uh, people who are overwhelmed by it refer to it are like, what the hell is this? It's like soda water or something. Um, so a robbery is taking place. It seems they've robbed a bunch of people. Uh, and, uh, I mean, down the street, a car pulls up and, uh, they, these people inside see that there's commotion. They get outside and uh, while over the objections of one of them, it turns out that All Might is telling Todoroki and Bakugo, you can't go do that. They're like, yes, we can. We're heroes now. We got hero licenses. So <laughs> Fuck you. And uh, they storm out to go and confront the villains. And uh, it's winter Todoroki and Bakugo. Buy the new action figures. Todoroki's action figure is the exact same as the previous I one. I was going to say, <laughs> isn't winter Todoroki just uh, half summer Todoroki? Bakugo's wearing a scarf. Buy his action figure. <laughs> Buy a new one. It's very new. Uh, so that's it. That's the, the chapter. They are confronting these random villains. So It's a very interesting chapter. It, it, it brings up this, this new antagonist in a unique way. Uh, I do like how we really don't have to wait long to get a good glimpse as to this guy's like moral character, which is like you'd almost think like, oh yeah, it's a secret behind the scenes meeting to stop the League of Villains. Maybe he's oh, he just broke that one dude's neck right there because the dude said that people in this group sounded like rambly maniacs. So uh, we got to how dare you call me crazy? <laughs> we basically have like. <laughs> I don't even know. Some 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 circles you probably don't even need to add this, but basically villainous Elon Musk is our new antagonist for right now. <laughs> and I'm kind of digging the idea of like evil CEO villain for a little bit. Um, it's nice to kind of get back to my hero having some kind of forward momentum. And I'm I'm curious to see what like these characters are going to do, like what the conflict's going to eventually erupt into. I also do the, the poor I'm not say poor League of Villain, but I guess that monsters, but like 
Those guys just have not been able to catch a break. Every time a new group comes up, they're like, I'm going to bring an end to you as well. Like, shit, man. You too? I mean, you know, the last group that tried to do that, they ended up cutting off his arms and letting him die in an explosion. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how much uh, better this guy's going to uh, fare, but yeah. I do appreciate that we're getting a different kind of villain um, because everyone that we've seen thus far has just been, you know, this criminal, uh, a gang leader, uh, megalomaniacal, uh, just asshole who is the greatest villain ever. Whereas this guy is someone who has a public face of being a good person. And uh, so it's going to be a different sort of thing. He's going to be more like, you know, the kingpin uh, than... Uh, a lot of these other villains who were just like, yeah, we live in an underground bunker and I experiment on my little girl and just like in order to commit crimes and I wear this mask everywhere. It's like you would not be able to look at me without immediately thinking I'm a bad guy. So. Although I am excited for the idea of a Kingpin esque season and I'm like, oh, I hope all the characters just like season three of Daredevil communicate almost exclusively through screaming the last three episodes. <laughs> I still haven't watched that season. Ever since I heard like everything getting canceled, it was just like, is there even a point to watching any of this anymore? <laughs> it's really good, but it is a shame because it definitely ends on the idea of like, well, there's going to be a season four somewhere, right? So. Uh... <laughs> All right. We're going to move right along into Food Wars. Chapter 301, Ice Witch. <clears throat> Last time, Irina had confronted her mother who wanted her to be taken out of the tournament. And Arian is just like, I'm just going to go and prove you wrong. And that's basically it. She storms off uh, at the start of this chapter. Une comes across uh, everyone who was listening in on the conversation and scolds them. But uh, uh, Ms. Naki Ms. Nakiri doesn't care. And she's like, anyway... Uh, let, let me see here. Ah, and she tries to stand up and just immediately collapses over. It's weird because it's like done comedically, but then it's like, oh, she is a very sickly woman who needs to just like have vitamins injected into her via an IV drip. Yep. Isn't it funny how people are so weak that they can't eat? It's hysterical. They should yeah. start doing uh, stand up routines about it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and then, uh, oh, yeah, like my my sickly great, 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 great aunt just like was just like, I'm going to go and do something. But she couldn't because she's old and feeble. So then we had to give her medicine because she can't live on her own. Boo. There was no set up punchline in that bit. Boo. <laughs> great premise, though. <laughs> the content was fine. <laughs> I love the truth in your act, but you have to frame it like a joke. <laughs> okay. So I think there's also a, like a note that it seems like she's nervous around needles because she presents her arm to put the, have the IV put in. And she's like, uh, don't hurt me when she does. So, um, so she's getting an IV drip and, uh, everyone's kind of, you know, weirded out by this. And someone says, do you like have a condition? Maybe you should, you know, get some rest. And she says, yeah, but, you know, don't worry about that. I'm having dinner right now. And hey, nom, nom, by nom, the way, nom, 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 nom. Mm, so good. Mm. Uh, she asks Sune to leave them out. But before they leave, she's like, oh, hey, you and referring to Takumi. 
the brackets as I wrote them, you will be the next of this little group to face Irina. If you'd like, you may face her together with your brother. I would allow it. Whatever it takes, eliminate the divine tongue. She is not a participant I require in my tournaments. And Takumi's like, oh shit, I'm totally going to lose immediately. <laughs> it's it's almost hysterical of like this moment when we as an audience are supposed to be like, yeah, you go, Takumi. And it's just Takumi's like, oh, I'm a fact. <laughs> As they are escorted off, uh, they ask Une a series of questions like, what the hell is going on? And she's like, I don't really know either. I only found out about all this stuff yesterday. But yeah, I guess that, yeah, they're related and there's a history between them. Two days later. That's literally all that happens. This is the two days later. It's Takumi versus Arena. I really, I really, really, really wish there had been a small sub note that was like two days later. And it's almost like great match, Megami. It was really <laughs> exciting. Sorry, <Thanks>. you lost. <laughs> you lost off screen. <laughs> so uh, Takumi tries to be like, I'm honored to get a chance to face you. Let's have a good match. And Arena's like, Hey, do you want to make it two on one? Come on, handicap match me, asshole. Let's do this shit. Undertaker versus the Dudley Boys. And she's like, I'm sure that the bookmaster wants you to, you know, show off your super awesome cooperative cooking ability. So why not, you know, use that? And Takumi's just like, no, no, no. One on match is only fair. I am the seventh seed in the Council of Ten. Sure, you may be more skilled than I am, but that only makes this more meaningful. I'll give this my all. Challenge myself against my betters. And Arita just says, how utterly stupid. <laughs> fucking merciless. <laughs> I wish you just powerbombed him through a fucking counter right then and had just been like, all right, judges, call it. <laughs> if he's going to waste my time, then I'm going to get going. Back out. <laughs> Just hits him and then does that Randy Orton stupid on top of him. <laughs> you know, Kofi did a callback to that like fucking eight years later in the Elimination Chamber. He like hit hit he like hit Randy with a move and he went stupid. It's like ah, I remembered you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, Arianus says, "If you truly mean to beat me, you wouldn't spout drivel at me like that." Say, like, well, okay then. Uh, Arina sits about cooking, and Soma has a flashback to the full explanation that Uda gave them uh, the previous day, which was only a small handful of people know of Lady Mana's true identity, but there is no doubt that Miss Arina is Lady Mana's daughter. The greatest proof of that is that Lady Mana too bears the divine tongue. I hear that for many years she pursued hot cuisine to the best of her ability, but something happened and she lost all faith in flavor as a whole. She stopped eating solid foods almost entirely and to this day gets most of her nutrition via an IV drip. From what I understand, that is the reason she left the Nakiri family and her infant daughter behind. Thus, I think, no, I'm sure that young Miss Arena must despise her mother for abandoning her. Takumi observes Arena cooking and thinks to himself how she has a very grim, focused look on her face and it's hard to believe that she's the same person who... Seemed to really enjoy her time uh, in during this year, uh, being with the new Council of Ten, serving as the uh, headmaster. And we get a flashback to 
the previous time it's like, hey, remember when Alice and Hayama and Kurokiba were part of this series? Well, here they are for a brief instant. Uh, Alice managed well, to beat. Alice and Hayama are at least. Yeah, Kurokiba's not there. Oh, also, Kuga and Ishiki are there, I guess. Uh, Alice has managed to beat Hayama in a Shokugeki. And then she feels kind of full of herself and she decides to challenge Arina uh, as well. And immediately, oh, no, wait, there's Kurokiba right there. See? Yeah. Right to the judges. Yay, yay. Good for him. Yay. He didn't get any lines. Uh, <laughs> and Arina, of course, won easily and but seemed to very much enjoy actually actually getting to do this and uh, and was laughing along with her cousin and 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 stuff. And um, then in the present, the judges who have tasted Arina's dish have been knocked into a coma because it was so good. And Arina says, if you are brave enough to learn just how greatly outclassed you are, taste this. And Takumi tries it, and he thinks to himself, we of the Council of Ten clash constantly, training with each other, day in and day out. Yet somehow, if she were on the Council now, she would be the zero seat. Whoever said that the Council seats went from one to ten, Chris? Ooh, I'm getting some yammy flashbacks right now. He was the strongest of them all, Nick. Yeah, Arena, like, it cuts back to Arena, and she's just, like, gotten really big. And it's like, that's her power. She turns into a giant Godzilla. <laughs> that's how she cooks really good. I want that to always be the gimmick of the Zero, like, ranked member. That they're just really big and then they're <laughs> on screen. That's the uh, actual original ending of Bleach, is that the five <laughs> members of the Zero division just get really big. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so... Erina has bared her fangs. Her usual fierce sense of competitiveness has sharpened to a nearly lethal edge. The way Nakiri is now, you just can't fight her. All you can do is roll over and accept defeat. And there's an image of Takumi like being frozen solid. Uh, and everyone's like, oh my god, she's amazing. And then Erina tastes her own dish and is like, this is well-made gourmet. But it is, uh, is it a dish that presents a new world of unknown flavors? Not even close. And she throws it in the garbage. I can't be satisfied with something like that. It would be a disgrace to the name of the divine tongue. And so, And that's when Paul Hollywood shows up and he's just like, we can't judge that now. We're going to have to. I could, we could have at least tried some of the other parts of the dish. We can't just present a fucking bin. And Mary Berry shows up and she's like, oh, just positively scrubby. Nick, I watched a lot of. Great finish making competition now. So you guys start watching it to get my references. No. No! It's like whenever Brock Lesnar shows up to beat somebody, and then it's like, well, he won in three seconds, so we need to make it seem like he's really good. And then he just picks them up and, like, F5s them four more times. It's like, well, that person you just killed is never going to to actually be a star. Thanks. I completely destroyed you. We didn't even see what your dish was. I made you realize how big the difference between us was. And then I threw my dish away because it's not good enough for me. Well, now let's be fair, Nick. Zach Gowan kind of got a rub from getting destroyed by Brock Lesnar for like three straight months. I mean, sort of a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) you can. He parlayed that into what I presume is a hopefully successful career out of the WWE. I don't know. Hey. He beat Matt Hardy before he was fired. There you go. Fuck you, Matt Hardy. 
<laughs> this is a very weird chapter. Yeah. Um, and it's not even over after that point. Uh, Megami observes that Erina is like even worse than she was at the start of the series. She's way colder and more frightening. Erina storms off and Asahi is like, hey, so. I'm the only person that can give you what you really want. And that's the end of the chapter. So it's not as though this development isn't like it doesn't have some sort of merit to it. Because I do think there's something you could explore, obviously, with Arena being like, oh, I'm seeing my mom again. And my mom, who basically just abandoned me, we already know I have just a mess of personal parental issues to try to work through. And it's all connected to fucking food because anything in the series has to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where my dad was like abusive and manipulative, my mother was just simply not there. And uh, there's that 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 chase for validation that she's seeking for her mom. And she's like, if my mom, who doesn't need anything, because she just uses basically an IV drip for everything, I have to find something that's worthy of that. You 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 could you could showcase Arina's kind of chase for that, but it's weird for two reasons. The first is that it's not developed at all. We just spontaneously got the last chapter with the reveal of Arina's mom. And then in this chapter, Arina is just it's a complete bitch. And she's been kind of doing that. Like, that's not really the character we've been getting throughout this arc for. She just very quickly kind of on this chapter is like, no, I don't care about anyone anymore. But two, I don't really see how this connects to the like the main focus of what this arc has been, which is like Asahi and Neo trying to, or not Neo, Noir. <laughs> Uh, Asai and Noir trying to like fuck up the culinary world like it almost feels like there's two plot lines and they're just trying to like find a way to like hammer them together to be like yeah. hey we're at the end I don't like that all the plot lines hinge on Arena in that sense because it's like she doesn't need this additional character motivation for this arc you know, because yeah. she still got the thing. She was kidnapped by Asahi. She wants to prove herself by kicking his ass. Why does she need to have this whole thing with her mother? And I'm not saying that in the sense that it's like, oh, you know, you you never you you don't need to override a character or anything like that. I mean, right now, like nobody else has anything going on. Soma's got the connection to Asahi because they're both Joitro's sons, but. Every other supporting character had like, why was Takumi even here? Honestly, uh, I, why did we see him? <laughs> it says something, I guess, that it's like, well, we need him to lose to Arena to make her look really like a badass. But we can't, you know, completely forget about him. He'll get a win over this one rando loser before that, at least. Yeah. Megami's got maybe he's faced nobody. Uh, and it seems like we're at certain points in this arc, we're just hitting the fast forward button to get through certain moments when I think that this part should have probably been drawn out a little bit to really hammer home just how much Aaron outclassed Takumi because it's just like, okay, it's the same thing that happened with Asahi and Tsukasa. You didn't even see the dish they presented and how much better the antagonist for that yeah match was there, there's 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 a lot of it and I, I i have to assume that all this kind of comes down to the idea of like well this is our final arc you know we got to make sure because Aaron has kind of always been sort of like 
the big thing, the big shit to this series. Like, Soma trying to impress her needs to be something to get involved. It just, I don't know, just doesn't feel like there's a natural sort of connection in between these two. It's already kind of feels like you're degrading the, the whole thing with Asahi and Soma now. Because I get that Asahi's like the like building on the devil on her shoulder now, but mm-hmm. like unless that results in her becoming like a hitman, like a cooking hitman going after Soma for some reason or something like that, I don't really see like the big value to it or anything like that. Uh, I just I I kind of wish uh, this series could t- have taken a lesson from Eye Shield, where it's like just because a parent's missing doesn't mm. mean you have to make them a huge figure in the story. You can allude mm. to the fact that they're somewhat significant, but you don't have to base an entire arc's like emotional crux around it. Yeah. And that's where we're at right now. And it's just not particularly doing anything interesting. All right. Eden zero. All right. Let's talk Eden zero chapter 33, the girl on the hill. So last time I may need to remind some people about this. Because I'm not sure if the series really remembered it. Uh, they ran into uh, Jamie, who's evil. He's just he's super evil. And uh, he likes to torture women because that's it's just that kind of series. Uh, mm. But the guys, he, he tortures even more because he just impales them on a giant spike. And then uh, lets them slowly die. And that's how this chapter opens up. Is with those people he impaled on a spike dying. They are dead. Every, yeah. They were real people who died in the game and now have died in real life. And everyone kind of has a very lame stoic expression on themselves when they're talking about this. They're like, they're all dead. Their bodies are gone. Yep. Death in the real world is, is de- death here is death in the real world. And that's that, that, that's kind of it. I just want to note <laughs> no one feels really bad about this afterwards. They have a very quick fight with with Jamie. The only notable thing that comes from it is that he uses his scythe to basically cut Shiki's hair to being its normal rec- uh, recognizable sort of thing. So, uh, I guess three-fifths of the group are now completely indistinguishable from what they look like in the real world anyway. Uh, but before Jamie and Maria, his uh, sentient scythe or whatever it is, can kill them, mm-hmm. he's like... I've got to get out of here because uh, Drac and Joe called this meeting. So bye. And he, he teleports away. Uh, and this is what fucking mind boggles me. A bunch of NPCs come out and they're like, no one's hurt. I hope. Uh, thank you for saving us. Thank you for getting rid of us. And like, there's even like a scene of voice being like, oh, if you look at the tankers, how about you give us some info for someone? I'm like, like five people just died. Yeah. <laughs> I know that they were players, but the NPC should still have something like, oh, that's horrifying. Or the character should be like, well, that's weird, as opposed to, like, they're all just like, hope we don't run into that guy again. Let's let's speed run this mission. It's also very important to note that the only thing that the scythe actually did was it ate Shiki's hair. So now he's got his regular <laughs> hair. So Shiki's like the least different looking person out of all of the people that are logged in now. Yeah. Uh, they go to the the hill on the whatever and they find hermit and uh there's a joke because shiki just immediately runs up and it's like way i'm shiki we're taking in zero to go see mother and pino's like yeah you left out a lot ass uh but hermit's like cool no thanks and uh shiki can't allow that 
Like he's like, nah, I think you should go along. And he starts grabbing her and she like slaps away. She's like, no, fuck you. I'm not going. I despise humans. Uh, and they even mentioned, they're like, yeah, your boat's on Ian's air. She's or your body. And she's like, put me back. Asshole. I don't want to be. Who said that you, who said that you could pick up my body and do stuff with it? (laughs) Yeah. Fuck you. Put me back on iron Hill. Dickheads. I don't like you. Honestly, Uh, she comes off as a really insensitive asshole in this chapter. Like seriously. Like he's just like, I don't want, no, don't leave me alone. And he's just like, come on, come with us. Just grabs her hand, tries to drag her up. It's like, fuck, leave her alone. Yeah, it's, come it's like an, an aggressively like, but you'll just have fun if you come along with us. Like, maybe you could, you could, again, you could parlay this into an interesting story if Shiki's just too dumb to realize how these sorts of things work or just too simple minded. But, uh, that's not um, what's going to happen. No, I assume that she'll eventually learn that friendship was in her heart all along and she'll team up with them. Uh, and then there's, uh, a scene back in Krista, the city of crystals. On Digitalist, the planet of Digitalist. <laughs> Digitals. <laughs> and uh, we see Hamora, uh, and she gets uh, pulled over to the side by someone else. And uh, there's a joke about How her. can he see? I don't know. How can he see? Maybe he's like a, a snake. His Maybe hair. He like tastes the air, and that's how he, he gathers everything. His hair is, his bangs are like this. Like, how can he see? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm assuming again, it's probably a snake thing. He like slithers into the air and then senses the air pressure around him. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna and, say like it's like a snake thing with his hair. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't make the science to this. I'm just Doctor Christopher who tells you how it works. <laughs> and I must warn him to stay away from starfish. The natural what is Doctor Christopher's snakes. doctorate in? Musical appreciation. But <laughs> I teach a lot of unrelated courses. <laughs> so, in a very insidious and disturbing scene, very suggestive, the mysterious person says, How's the undercover job going, Big H? And Hamura responds flawlessly, Shiki, trust me. Nick, she's evil. I mean, no, she's Definitely. not. <laughs> I will say this. Out of all the characters that are part of the Eden Zero crew at this point, Homura is one of the three that are like in any way interesting. Well, uh, four, maybe it's like. She's the only one who's not an android that's interesting in any way, though. So, I mean, she's got, you know, stuff going on and she's not immediately infuriating every single time that she's on panel. Only when she's just like, I can't hide the way that I think. Um I'm a spy. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazingly, she hasn't revealed that yet, despite the. Yeah. So I I'm sure that there is not going to be anything nefarious that comes of this. Or even if she is, then she will, you know, be drawn to the light of friendship eventually, whatever. Um, but honestly, compared to like everyone else in this chapter, She's like a saint by comparison to these assholes. Just like, oh, yeah, we totally saved the town by getting your asses kicked by that guy with the scythe while he killed all those innocent people. Anyway, tell us what we need to know. Oh, hey, woman. Yeah, come with us. No, you don't get a choice in there. Come with us. Like, are you are you supposed to be the good guys? Come on. 
Yeah, I, I the, like the the way the scene closes reminds me of quite a few different chapters of fairy tale that ended with like teases that Gis, uh, Giselle was still evil and things of that nature, where you're just like, or Gajio rather, and you're just like, I'm not buying it. I'm not. Nah. I feel like once you're part of the big group, you're a fucking best friend for life. So, I'm yeah, not- you were. You were so strong that you like were transitioning between the B team and the A team. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this is not a fantastic chapter by any stretch. Uh, the characters are not like I'm just I'm not interested in fighting this big jammy dude because he's just not interesting. He's just evil. I kill people. And I'm like, that's not a cool character. Like you need more than that to be an interesting character. And I feel like we're eventually going to get, like, a big fucking, like, oh, and now Shiki's going to beat up Jammy. Here's my worry. Shiki's going to beat up Jammy, and that's going to be, like, the big thing. And uh, in doing so, he protects a bunch of fucking NPCs or some shit. And that's what all Hermit needs to be like, I guess humans aren't so bad after all. And then she's going to join the crew. And we went with the easiest, lamest explanation resolution to everything in this arc. Pretty much. Uh, prove us wrong. <laughs> yeah. Sh- uh, hero. <laughs> Just gotta keep on saying it until I'm proven wrong, so. <laughs> Hell Warden Higuma, Chapter 10, Absence. Makes so, like, yes, it does. Uh, except apparently in this case, uh, her, her heart did not grow fonder, it turns out. Hmm. This chapter uh, is the conclusion of the Kitsune fight. Uh, last time, the Kitsune was revealed to not be a mischievous boy, but rather an adult woman who goes on a rant in this and explains herself why she uh, targets mother's love for their children is because when she was part of the living world, she had none of that. She actually had a child uh, and felt literally no love for it. Uh, she basically thought of it as a rock and she went through all the motions of trying to care for it and feed it and such. And eventually uh, she got sick of not being able, not feeling any love for it that she fucking killed it. Well, okay then. Uh, And everyone, of course, you know, thought that she was a horrible person because of that. They apparently killed her for abandoning her own child in that way. And she landed in hell as a result of that. And now she feels tremendous hatred whenever she sees anyone who happily holds their own child. And uh, so she's lashing out at Cheeky as she fights him. And she's, she does a weird thing where like, she acts like they're going, these shuriken that she manages to land on him are going to explode and then they just don't. Um, I thought that Shiki was, Yuguma rather, was going to do something about it and uh, he doesn't. They just don't blow up. But she has run him through with a sword, uh, but this was apparently all part of his plan as he uses this opportunity to bind her hands together with one of his tools. And he says, your sin was to try to steal from others that which you lack. Were you able to get what you wanted? And the kids say thinks to herself, well, why, why was freedom, pleasure to destroy ha- families happier than me? But what I wanted was, and Higuma says, I have no empathy for you. I'll never understand how you feel. This is the end. And he chops her hands off. Yay. 
we get kind of the conclusion of that flashback he had when he was a kid to uh, this demonic instructor telling him, so you feel sorry for them. Well, that is a heavy burden because no matter how repulsive the sinner may be, they still think and feel. Maybe someone in your position could turn a blind eye to that reality, but not you. You search for any avenue to forgive them, but I think you already know that about yourself. You can't do anything about that. That part of you will never change. Instead, I'll train you until your body keeps moving even when your heart doubts. That's what it means for you to do your job, assuming you've decided to remain resolute. And the flashback ends. Higuma is now watching over Muramachi, who is recovering from being, you know, possessed by a demon. The two Bunraisha talk nearby. Uh, as Ayaha gets, you know, some of this information uh, that we've just seen through via flashback. And uh, Ramachi wakes up. Higuma talks with her for a little bit. She thinks that everything that she was experiencing was just a dream. Higuma gets ready to walk off, but she stops him and says, hey, uh, I know that, you know, not having a new baby sister isn't always going to be easy because it means that there's going to be another mouth to feed. And that means it's going to be hard for my mom. But... And then we get more of the flashback from when Higuma had first helped her out when her first little sister was born, when he found her in park. And it turns out that she was being possessed by a minor spirit at that time. And Higuma, you know, flicked it out of her and made her feel better and stuff. And she went back home after having run away and she held her new baby sister in her arms and she felt tremendous love for her. And Muramachi says, I know despite the hardship that everything's going to be fine. As long as we love each other, we'll be fine. I'm not sure I would have realized that if it weren't for you. So I've been meaning to thank you ever since you helped me out that day. And, uh, so she heads off. Ayaha comes up behind Higuma and kidney punches him in the exact spot where he was stabbed earlier. Like a good friend. And says, Hey, why are you doing this whole hell warden thing? Because you hate it, don't you? And that's where the chapter ends. There's an interesting fold to Higuma's character that he does all this stuff and fulfills his duty while hating himself the entire time because he feels bad for these people that he's killing. It's a different kind of approach for this sort of spirit of vengeance kind of character. Mm. So, Chris. Yes. It turns out in Neolation that it wasn't just a car that wasn't supposed to drift, drifting. There's there's what an extra else? layer. There's there's a what lot. else is going on? Well, we gotta talk about process eleven top speed then. Top speed. Top speed. Uh and Neo's very happy because he's like, I cracked Boogie's code. Yeah. And they're like, we did it. So uh they're going to basically say like all right well now that we know his gimmick we can catch up and and get ahead but whoa he's still faster he gripped that turn in a way and everyone's like yep there we go that's that's the other side of boogie where like his driving style just seems to kind of like completely shift and they're like i don't know what we could do and a bunch of people are like ah it's good for me to bet on boogie so much for legend of brother ty you just can't can't touch him uh and we get a flashback the Daigo. Uh, and I'm not sure the full context for the scene. I think this is... I didn't, I'm not sure either. I think there's some stuff here we're maybe not getting. Uh, no. Because it's Daigo on a swing set as a kid crying 
looking at a picture of what looks like it might be his sister, although it could potentially, I guess, be his mom. I don't know. Uh, but it looks like it's his sister with somebody else who's like their picture was presumably at one point ripped off of the photo and then taped back on. Uh, but their face is squiggled out. Uh, but this seems to be a very devastating thing for poor young Daigo to look at. Uh, so Brother Toss sees him and is like, hey, buddy. And he just starts fucking running up and trying to play with him and, uh, you know, make him not cry so much. Yeah. So by like harassing him. Yeah. But, but hey, I mean, he, he tries to help a sad kid. I guess. Yeah. His heart's in the right place. Uh, so we see that Daigo uh, is, is kind of, you know, he's he remembers this and he's like, yeah, you win, Brother Ta. Um so we got kind of this weird little like glimpse over into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we, we cut back into it. And Neo is having a conversation with, I can't remember his name, but uh, Misaki. It's, it's right there. Good for me. Uh, and Misaki explains, he's like, yeah, you know, we always kind of do this race here. He only races on this mountain pass. And every time he races, his time gets a little bit faster. And they talk about how he showed up like a year ago. And he kind of, he was, he was studying vehicle dynamics and wanted to collect everyone's like data. And that's how he kind of like everyone who talked to him got faster. And Neo's like, aha, it's no wonder he drives like a different person. It's because Boogie's not the one driving. It's a self-driving car. And we can see Boogie's just in the, like in the driver's seat. He's just fucking sitting there. He's like real, real kicked back and relaxed. Like, yeah. He's not even pretending to drive. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if there's a steering wheel in the car. There might be no steering console whatsoever. He just sits in the car and he's like, see you losers. And Broom. he just makes a sound with his mouth. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how you convince people you're driving the car. The engine is actually running, you know, <laughs> can't hear you over these six cylinders. Watch me do this turn. You're on a straightway right now. <laughs> uh, blue shell. <laughs> You'd get hit by it. So, yeah. So they're like, oh, yeah, he's usually a self-driving car. And this is the second tier of his villainy. First was using a car with anti-lock brakes and turning them off. And the second was to use a technology that self-drives. And truly, with these two despicable acts together, we've confirmed that Boogie is the most evil man in existence. (laughs) He's a conglomeration! More evil than the dude who used a computer program to make young women commit suicide. (laughs) This guy who uses standard road legal technology in, in street racing is the real scum of this earth. Yeah, look at the way the cars form his fingers. He's evil. <laughs> uh, but they know they're like, yeah, he's 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 been kind of using this and just you know he's been basically taking everyone's driving and building upon it, and they sort of show that off as a conglomeration of all the racers on the monsters pass, and he kind of is this this car monster with like giant cars, kind of making his fingers and things like that. So. I do actually like the way they characterize it is that he's this weird conglomeration of all the racers and that's kind of the threat he becomes because every time he'll just get a little bit better, a little bit faster and things like that. He has a new observation to his data, which thus allows him to make the ideal racing pattern. Exactly. Uh, So the character's like, whoa, uh, you know, we got to kind of figure this out. And Neo's kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm 
at a disadvantage here because I'm tempted to offer that we use a self-driving car program too, but there's no time to really set it up. And Boogie's the one who has all the data that we need. So I don't know if we could really do that. That's when Neo starts to be like, Boogie has all that data. So he starts doing all this shit on his computer, his hacking. Uh, and finally he comes to this thing. He's like, I should just hack his car and steal it. Uh, he's like, yeah, you know, if we get close enough, the Bluetooth will kind of do that. And there's a lot of ways to infiltrate a self-driving car. It's an extremely vulnerable piece of technology. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, all right. It's kind of harrowing, actually, to have it pointed out like that. He's like, so I could do this. I'm, I, You know, normally I need five, but I'm going to do it in just one minute. But someone's going to have to work even harder than me, and it's got to be you. Because for this to work, it won't do anything if we're behind. So by the time I finish this, you have to have pulled ahead. You have to have gotten the lead on on Boogie. And that's kind of the, the crux of the situation they're in. You know, Boogie's over in his car shouting. It's kind of funny because, again, he's not trying to pretend like he's driving. So it really just feels like he's in the passenger seat being like, come on, give me a fight, loser. <laughs> and it's like, a very look at all this awesome driving that I am personally doing. <laughs> He's almost like a baby along for the ride who's just like, come on! I wanted this match to leave my heart pounding! Uh, but that's the thing. So, like, you, you gotta do it. You gotta get ahead of him just once. And Berlatar thinks to himself, if I'm faster than anybody, then I can win. So, that's basically what you're saying. He has, like, a whole little thought process thinking of all the, all the stuff he's done. Time of the temple. Time with Diago and his sister. And he's like, all right. I'm going to be the. I'm going to go back to being the racer I used to be for just a few seconds, and today is my day. And he 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 realizes he doesn't actually have to do anything else. He just has to get ahead of him once. So this conglomer, you know, this conglomeration of racers, as he says, for just a few seconds, he has to be the best of all of them. And that's where we're. That's where we're at. That's where we yeah. leave the chapter. Yeah. Uh, I do really appreciate that uh, Neolation is uh, the technology that it talks about is bizarrely grounded in reality. Uh, you know, self-driving cars, the fact that self-driving cars are, well, cars in general that have Bluetooth accessibility are very vulnerable to being hacked, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, even when you think about it, like the stuff with like the suicides, like, well, okay, there are those programs that at least have been rumored to, you know, drive people to commit suicide so it's one of those things where the sci-fi sort of series is you know just a, a little bit ahead of where we are right now uh in terms of like this is all stuff that's like it's not completely out of the realm of possibility yeah. which is interesting it's something that you can relate to yeah it definitely makes for a more interesting story so let's talk about the new series that we have starting up in, in uh shonen jump this week the last sayuki this shit's crazy. Um, I thought I was reading Bucurano at first again, where I'm just like, oh, God, it's going to be a sad story about all these children dying, isn't it? <laughs> we start off with, um, I guess, an image from the future uh, of a video being uploaded to the Internet of uh, our main character's younger sister uh, wearing a mask and us being told that uh, you know she has no arms or legs. She can't see, and her voice can destroy the world. And a video of her has just been uploaded to the internet. We begin with an introduction to our baseball love and protagonist, 
loves baseball. I'm sure that he's going to get to play baseball, Chris. Mm. Uh, I bet um, so. Yeah. And uh, he's we start with him at, you know, going up the steps of this uh, sh- this shrine, basically, that he lives in with his uh, with his father. And he has a flashback to the time that he got the baseball cap that he currently wears. He and his mom and his dad all went together to a baseball game and his mom caught a home run, which was something that he thought was impossible because he thought that, you know, home runs only happen on TV. His mom gives him the, the ball and she says, Hey, remember this, Ryunosuke. Once you realize that something unbelievable can actually be done, then you can do it too. Very, very, very cool uh, little bit of inspirational thing there. And it's going to be kind of twisted over the course of the chapter. But uh, yeah. In the present, Ryunosuke is thinking, I'm going to get to go and play baseball and join the baseball team now that I'm in third grade. And I've filled out the whole form and I just need my dad to sign it. He gets up there and there's this mysterious girl in a wheelchair. And she's got these artificial arms and legs. Uh, and he's like, what, what What the hell's going on here? And his father says, this is my friend's daughter, Koharu Mori. She's a year younger than you. She doesn't have use of her eyes or her arms and legs. And she's going to become your younger sister from today on, which is, of course, completely shocking. On top of that, he says, Ryunosuke can't go to school at all. The thing that really is got him is that, oh, well, I don't get to ba- play baseball now. And he's really, 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 really upset about that. And he's really he's just yelling at his dad, like, ah, come on, I want to go play baseball. Isn't there something else we can do? Can't you, like, hire a helper or send her to a special needs school or something? And he's like, no, no, no. You have to be the one to stay here and stay by her side and take care of her. I can't stay home much because of work. I've already talked to your school. I'll go over, I'll go over your studies with you when I'm here. I'll, I'll buy you games and stuff. But you have to stay here all the time. Quite a task to give to an eight-year-old. Turns out it is a very important reason, but of course, Rinosuke doesn't fucking know that. No, he's an eight-year-old so, who's like, I want to fucking play baseball. Like... I understand why he doesn't tell him what's going on at the beginning, because it'd be a lot to take in. But it's also very, very easy to, you know, sympathize with Ryunosuke's situation when he's a piece of shit to his new younger sister. Because one, he's just met her. Two, he's eight. (laughs) He's just been told, no, you have to do this instead of living a life outside of this home. He's like, he's, you know, so he goes to bed. Uh, Kaharu is on the, you know, tatami mat next to him. And uh, he has to, like, carry her to the bathroom because, of course, she can't get there by herself. Uh, And he's like, this is awful. He's like, and he's got to make her dinner. Uh, And no matter what he does, like, Kaharu just, like, doesn't talk to him no matter what. Uh, he even does the very awkward thing of like playing video games and doing really well. And then he's like, Hey, did you see that? Oh, right. You can't see. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my bad. Um, he goes outside and, you know, was like, oh, what? And he thinks to himself, I can't get all this stuff out of my head. Is he's, you know, playing kind of baseball by himself? What if my pops hadn't brought Kaharu here? What if my mom was still alive? What if Kaharu's parents hadn't died? What if, what if, what if I had been able to join the baseball team? And at that moment, Kaharu rings the bell. He set it for her so that she, she can get his attention. And he's like, 
what if you could use your arms? If you could use your arms, you could toss me some balls to hit. And it's one of those things where he's like, he feels bad for feeling angry at her, at least because he's like, it's not her fault that she's in this situation. It's not her fault that she's disabled. And because I knew that that was what was really awful, uh, knowing that I was that by being with her, I was hurting her. And whenever she looked at me apologetically, it made me hate myself even more. And eventually you just get sick of all this and it's just like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. I'm going to school and I'm playing baseball. And he does. And uh, he has a great time. Oh, yeah. Those these fun times are never going to end. Yay. Let the good times roll. Gets back home. Kahara's had a heat stroke. Ah! <laughs> Oh, oh, geez. Yeah, this did take long to really get out of control. Um, and of course, his father shows up directly after. after not one well, doesn't show up directly after that, but they have to take her to the hospital. And after they get back, his dad shuts him in a fucking. There's a little like tool shed or something like that. And he's like, think long and hard about your actions today while you're in here. And just fucking barricades the door. It's a rough times for this kid. Yeah. So Ryunosuke is in this dark room and he's like basically aware of why this is happening. He's like, he wants me to sympathize with Kahara by making me experience being blind. This sucks. And no matter what, he can't sleep. And so he even starts to like over time because he leaves them in there for like as far as he can tell hours. Mm -hmm. Um He's like, when is morning going to come? When is he going to let me out of here? And he eventually just loses all sense of time and space and he actually moves himself into the corner so he can at least feel that he's still actually in the shed that he's been put in because he can't even really tell that anymore and he hears these weird noises around himself or maybe he actually imagines them and he imagines that there is this horrifying creature with all these eyes and mouths and noses and teeth and stuff uh, inside of the shed with him and he realizes like Koharu is basically like experiences this all the time. She's like how I am right now, but she can't actually escape from it. She can't even call and she never even actually calls out for help in all this time. And he actually does call out for help while pounding on the door or pounding on the wall. And eventually he turns and sees that the door has been opened up and it's not his dad who's let him out. It's actually Koharu who has managed to actually get herself over to the shed and headbutt the bar that's been placed across the doors to let him out. And he's like, why I I've treated you like this. Why? And she just says, I'm sorry, big brother. And he's, he cries and gives her a big hug and, and apologize to her. And he's like, I'm so sorry. You must've been so scared this whole, this whole time. And he thinks to himself, I will never forget the time that I first heard her voice. And Koharu gave me a blinding moonlight. Chapter's still not over. No, God, you're not even close. So, Rinosuke, they go to bed and is like, I, look, this is, this sucks. I blame my dad for everything. As he should. Yeah, okay. let's, let's be very clear. His let's dad's clear, an yes. asshole in this scenario. And he says, this is ridiculous, the fact that you shut this responsibility on me. But look, I don't, I don't want to hate you. So, I'm not going to use you as an excuse for my unhappiness. So what I'm going to say now is not for your sake. It's for my sake. Remember this. I will not leave you alone. From now on, I'll be your light. Even if you can't call out for help, whenever you're in pain, I will protect you. You don't have to get hurt because of me or hold back. Don't apologize when it's not your fault. He said things to himself. 
In that moment, even though Koharu's hand couldn't move, I felt it squeeze me back. Later that night, wakes up in the middle of the night, Koharu's not there. He's like, how where the hell is she? And he hears this murmuring outside and he's thinking, is she talking with someone? Who could she be talking to? Is it dad? What? What is it? And he actually imagines that the monster that he imagined in the shack is there tormenting her. He's like, nah, 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 nah that can't be it. But he's like, just in case. And he takes his uh, his baseball bat with him and he opens up the door and Koharu is floating in the middle of the room while surrounded by this odd glow. And he's like, I must be dreaming. But when he goes over to her and catches her, he feels her weight and is like, I guess this isn't a dream. And Kuharu says in her sleep, behind you. And the creature appears behind Ryunosuke and slashes him with this weird scythe-like claw. And he's like, oh my god, oh my god, this is, this is a dream, right? And he sees that when it slashed him, it actually cut his cheek and he's bleeding and he feels pain. And he's like, no way, I guess this is real. And he remembers, you know, what his mother had told him. It's like, it's, this is real, all right. And uh, But he also remembers promising Kahara that he would protect her. And he picks up his baseball bat and he thinks, well, the other thing his mother told him, when you realize something unbelievable can actually be done, you can do it too. And he's like, I'm going to protect her. And swings the baseball bat like he's going to hit a home run. And the creature stopped it with one little pinky claw. It was a nice sentiment. And then he's killed. The series is over. A hole is blown in the creature's head, which caused it to basically disintegrate. And Ryunosuke looks behind him and sees that a long staff has been stabbed up from the room next to him. And his pops is the one who has killed the creature. They put Kohar back in bed and his father finally starts to explain Shin says, I was going to tell you once you were ready, the real reason I brought Koharu here and Koharu's ability. She's not like us. She's not really human. She's something closer to a divine being. Divinity is one's beliefs, the truth or the embodiment of it. And one truth that humans have forgotten is even if you can't see it with your eyes, it can still exist. And Kohar has the ability to make you realize that truth. The monster I just laid, I'm assuming, is... The same as the monster you sensed in the storeroom. The fear you felt when you couldn't see was seen by Koharu. And when Koharu told you its location, you became aware that it really existed. Even if she was talking in her sleep, her voice, whatever she says, makes people's fears materialize in real life. And so is like, but earlier today she said sorry to me. And his father explains the monster didn't appear because her words didn't allude to its existence. You know that this is the truth. You have that injury. You know I'm not lying. And you know how terrifying that ability could be. If she used that ability with evil intent, the world would be overrun by monsters. Humanity would come to an end. She's a very kind girl. But for her, words are like a sword. Even if she's just using the blunt side, she's not the type of girl who would wield without reason. For now. Because if she ever believed that humans are unworthy of protecting, she would start to use that sword without hesitation. The way to protect the world from her ability is to have her like humans. The answer is love. I brought her here to love you. End of chapter one. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty like heavy premise matter on the onset of just like, you know, it's about this disabled girl who can't walk 
or move her arms or see, and she also doesn't talk by choice, it seems, for the most part. And, you're like, and that's the most grounded part of the story. And you're like, hey, this eight-year-old, take care of her. And you're like, all right, I mean, he's he's kind of an asshole, but he's learned his lesson. The real villain here is the dad anyway, so let's follow this story. And then at the very end, it's like, oh, wait, no, she makes monsters into reality. <laughs> like, fuck, man, it's a lot. I, yeah, and I mean, we're just getting started in this. What the hell is going to happen from here? Uh, the most shocking part of this series for me is that this is by the guy who made Muto Black, which a few years ago I I, I covered and was like, this was just horribly uninteresting. So <laughs> who knew that he had this in him? Good job. It's like, nah, I did it now. I've heard God Nick, press Nick. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, I, there's there's a lot here to to try to dissect. Uh, I'm sure people could find comparisons. The thing that I find it it reminds me the most of is just Bukurano, if only because it seems like it's a series that is not going to be very kind to children. But this is also running and jump, so I don't think they're going to have as many children dying as in Bukurano. Um, but it's 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 a very just interesting premise it, it kind of surprises you for sure uh like when you see like the first page you're like oh it's like yeah or like the probe image you're like yeah it's a kitty likes baseball and he's gonna protect this little girl and then you're like oh no it's not really like that at all is it <laughs> oh man um yeah i am very much looking forward to seeing the rest of the series uh i think that it's kind of out of the last crop of stuff that we've gotten, I think this is the one that has blown me away the most. So I really, really want to work really want to read chapter two and three and four and five and six. So good stuff. But fuck seven. That's where the series drops off. <laughs> exactly. And that's when they just, you know, he just gets to actually play baseball. <laughs> it just becomes a baseball manga. And she's in the crowd like, I can kill you all. Yeah, <laughs> this is as long as you win. The, as long as you get to go to the Koshi and I won't kill all of humanity. <laughs> or she loves her brother so much. She helps him cheat at Little League Baseball. <laughs> as so, all like, the pitchers like imagine their worst fears. So, like There's the third baseman who's about to catch the ball. And she's like, are you sure you can do that with the monster behind you? And he what monster? Gets, ah! gets crushed by like a rhinoceros with 30 eyes. And her brother browns the base. And she's like, all right, ground new double. <laughs> He You're just doesn't care about the wanton destruction caused by her. He's like, if I don't know what happens, then I'm innocent. <laughs> All right. All right, let's talk about what uh, we never learned. This is question 101. The Ice Flower Dances with X at Twilight Part 2. So we cut back to the time when uh, Kirisu was an ice skater. And Look. She's happy, Chris. She was very happy, and she was very skilled. In this her, it makes her, me feel uncomfortable. Her parents seem to actually like her, uh, which we find out is a very real thing. Uh, and we, we, we see what she was like when she was in high school, and she like has a moment where like a bunch of her classmates are like, hey, let's go to, let's, let's, you know, let's the culture festival. Uh, why don't you go help us with it? And Karis has to be like, Ah, I can't. I, I gotta. I gotta make all these these ice skating practices. So she doesn't really participate in those sorts of things, and she thinks to herself, "It's not that I don't like ice skating anymore, but I 
kind of intensely want other things. And we see the uh, the school teacher from before, who I believe is supposed to be Yuiga's uh, father, just based off the first chapter of the series, which someone reminded me of. This is the same sort of silhouette and look that he had. So I think this is supposed to be him, though I don't know if Karasu knows that because she doesn't mm-hmm. know the identity of this person. Uh, and the teacher comes by and is just like, hey, what are you doing here? Looking so glum, you know? And uh, he you know, is just sort of described as Beats, the very approachable guy who's very uh, awkward but sincere and always wore a happy grin when dealing with students. And, and Kirsu thinks that, oh, maybe if I could be like that teacher, then I'd, I'd, I'd be able to get over. And she looks at her like her future career path, like the, the three universes she wants to go to, and she's wondering if it, it's right for her to go into teaching or not. Uh, and she has this quote, yearning the constant pool to experience a normal high school life. So we cut to the next semester where Kirisu is now an assistant homeroom teacher. And we find out her parents were not a fan of it, basically disowned her for going into this profession. And even despite that, she was she was really happy. She really liked her job. She had a lot of passion for it. And we see she has this interaction with one of her her students who's like, Hey, you gonna are you gonna watch my practice today? I, I'm very good at playing music, so you you should do it. And Kirsu was very supportive. She's like, "Yeah, you're doing very good. You know, I uh, you know I keep getting better." And kids like, "Thanks for that that excellent advice." Uh, well, she does specifically say like, "Hey, you know, maybe you should like get feedback from a music teacher. I'm no expert on this, but it did sound great." And she's, "Nah, nah, nah. You sound great. You you're you have a great listening ability." Yeah, so so she qualifies this from the start. It's like I'm no an expert on this, but it sounds great to me. Yeah, so, so she's being very supportive, uh, guidance uh, teacher at this point. Uh, and the girl tells her she's like, "Oh, I want to go to uh, this this music conservatory, but I don't know if I'm good enough to do it." And Kirisu sees that she's kind of unsure of herself and just doubles down. She's like, "That's wonderful. I don't know much about music, but I'll be happy to watch you every day. You can do it. I, I believe in you." And, she also uh, says, get it, girl. Yeah, you get it, girl. <laughs> uh, and she, she's like, ah, cool. And it, it made me really happy that someone valued my support. And I love being involved with my young students' dreams. But that's why I blew it. And we cut ahead to a meeting between the two. And the student is devastated. And Kirsi is trying to be supportive. Like, I, I, yeah, you know, maybe you didn't do it this year. But next year, you could do it. And the... Uh, uh, the student's like, no, I was the worst in the whole group. You have a good ear. You knew, didn't you? You knew that I didn't have an ounce of talent. Kirsi's trying to be like, no, I think you're really good. And the, the girl just interrupts her. He's like, stop pretending. It just makes me feel worse. I never should have tried to get into conservatory. I never should have tried any of that. And Kirisu has that kind of realization where she's like, oh, I should have been like this 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 was wrong i i wanted to push and be supportive but in the end all i ended up doing was pushing this girl f- too far and now she's just devastated and and feels that she's lost everything and she realizes she just basically isn't that teacher that kind of inspired her before she doesn't have that ability so as she has to kind of watch her little sister succeed in the field she left behind uh which is actually a kind of devastating scene because it 
it does it gives a whole different context to the way that she lives yeah like she she's in like the mess and squalor which we used to just associate with her being fucking incapable at existing in life uh but when you see her here she's she just looks like a mess like a a, a miserable mess who watches her sister in the dark basically uh but instead she kind of sallies forth and becomes sort of the cold ice queen that we know today and we know why she has these sort of attitude towards students where she she kind of tries to break them of of foolish notions that she believes they aren't well suited for and we kind of have a context why she explains like no matter how cruel i have to be or how cold-hearted i will stand by my students talents yeah and i i love the little speech that she has when uh hino is at, when she's ranted at her and she says I misunderstood what it meant to be kind. I thought that going along with my students was the best way to support them, but I was wrong and we are the same. I couldn't become that person by being, I couldn't be that supportive enthusiastic person. I didn't have that in me. And it's honestly really, really sad. Uh, this is the thing that I was saying last week was like, Hey, and I've got some, I've got, you know, faith in this kind of style of doing things with these, you know, little, story arcs surrounding these uh characters and yeah uh i felt really bad for carissa in this so it's tough so we we cut back to like the next day where we 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 get eventually the end of that situation that happened between yeager and carissa where she explains like ah this is pointless i don't know why i really told any of this it doesn't matter it's in the past just forget it and we tries to ask her he's like what do you want to do going forward Kira says, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go back to Skane. I don't know if I want to continue teaching. I just don't know. So Yuega's talking to Aruka about it, and he's like, you know, what if you went through all kinds of stuff and came out not knowing if you wanted to continue swimming or not? And I like how she's like, I don't know what that means. That's really vague. But if it were me, I'd just go swimming. (laughs) And he's like, I guess that's fucking kind of genius in its own way. So, uh, yeah, he's like, it's really helpful. Thanks. And she's like, ah, I was helpful. Yay. <laughs> he held my hand. <laughs> so we see Maharu then, who's dry, being driven around. And uh, she's kind of worried because her big sister is not answering any of her phone calls. You know, hasn't really gotten an answer back to that offer she gave her. And uh, then she sees that Uega is pedaling his bike as fast as the car <laughs> is driving to catch up with them. Jesus. This kid. Uh, also, the car is going ting a ling a ling Or the uh, bike is. Yeah. So uh, he says, hey, I'm sorry to like kind of drag you down. I just, I really need to talk with you. And he grabs her on the shoulders. And of course, Miharu is like, oh, no, he wants to listen to fair with me now, too. Uh, and Uega is like, I need your help. It's about your sister. And of course, it, you know, he says that at the same time. She's like, well, I'll only do this if you promise to give up on my sister. And it's like, oh, wacky misunderstanding. Then the chapter. Uh, Miyaru sucks. She's awful. But the rest of the chapter is pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, very good chapter overall. Um, I didn't. I agree with you. I didn't. Re- I really don't like Miyaru in general. But uh this entire flashback uh, does just kind of give you an entire different view of Kirisu. And uh, it's kind of necessary, I think, to actually really empathizing with her. So, yeah. 
Okay. Dr. Stone. Nothing happens. No, I'm just kidding. It's time to get stoned. Z equals 96. Eye of science. Last time, uh, the got a message from some mysterious source that was just going why, 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 in Morse code. Freaked everyone out, except for Senku, who at the beginning of this chapter grabs the phone and is like, hey, you're the one who's behind the petrification, aren't you? I've been dying to meet you. Been waiting 3,700 long years, in fact. So get excited. And they stopped sending the message. They said, why, why, why? Like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, Meh. I don't really care to meet you, actually. So people set up a quick little um, meeting area for the Kingdom of Science Tactics Chamber. And Taiju is is just talking to people while everyone's, you know, sharing rumors about who is this person who wanted to talk to us. And he's just like, hey, 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 don't worry about it. Leave this to Senku and those guys while we do what we can. There's still work to be done. And uh, Karak is like, yeah, let's just stay out of the way. We'll leave the strategizing to those in the tactics chamber. After all, they're the ones who heard the message firsthand. The sharpest minds in the kingdom are five wise commanders. Gen. Ukyo, Senku, Ryusui, and Chrome. And then Kaku's like, well, the jury's still on Chrome, though. I mean, he's smart, but his personality isn't all that great. <laughs> he's like, shut up! <laughs> See? <laughs> I fucking love Kaku. Ah, the five great minds of our of our kingdom. I mean, I don't know about Chrome. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, right outside the room as she says it to nobody, too. <laughs> That's right, me, all those people inside there are very wise. Me, me, but not Chrome. He's kind of an asshole. Except for Chrome. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> so <coughs> they just kind of discuss the stuff for a while and they think, hey, well, you know, it's been 3,700 years since that time. So the only possibility that this that the person actually responsible for the petrification is still out there is that they petrify themselves as well. Um but Chrome's like, hey, but do you even know if this person's actually an enemy? And Senku's like, well, we kind of have to presume that because they caused a worldwide cataclysm. But if they turn out to be an ally, then we've overprepared for the worst and that'll just be a relief. So yeah. it's very, you know, careful thinking on his part. So they're like, all right, we have to consider this person an unseen enemy. So we're in a tight spot. And Senku's like, Exactly. So we've just got to see this unseen enemy with the eye of science. Uh, and he gets this flask ready to go. And Kaok is like, what? Are we just supposed to just see the enemy with this, this thing? She's like peering down the bottle. And he's like, yes. And she's like, I'm right. <laughs> I'm the smartest person in the world. Fuck you, Chrome. I'm on this council now instead of you. <laughs> Dumbass. Uh, so he says, first, we're going to take this sp- 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 this rock from Chrome's collection. <laughs> I'm not going to try. And he's like, and we need it to be smashed into powder. And before he can, like, even finish that, all the muscle heads in the in the group just get to grinding it up. And uh, Nikki presents this fine powder to him and they're good to go. Yay. Uh, and he goes through the process of getting it all set. And he's like, we are going to make an electron beam. Sure. Okay. And with this, we now have a display screen. 
And he's turned the flask into a brawn tube. And uh, he's like, I was going to make this for our GPS. So I had all the stuff ready and the production ready. I just kind of tweaked it a little bit in order to make this thing instead. And they're like, so what are we going to do with it exactly? And he says, we will draw on the power of a magic stone, the crystal. And he was like, is he is he crazy? He's made a crystal ball. And Zeke is like, eh, I'm sort of messing with you. He explains that like inside of a crystal, there is magic to be found. You shoot voltage through the plate, make it vibrate at just the right tempo. And these precise vibrations reveal the crystal's shapely electric waves like magic. Then you make a thing out of two crystal plates. And with that, you allow them to shoot electron beams out of them, which curve, which form a straight line. And there you go. Now you can see this straight line in our little flask thing. And then we add this and this. And we can now see instead that there are curves in it. And Ukiya realizes, ah, you have created sonar or radar, but whatever. So they sail out uh, with the uh, now new sonar thing to observe stuff. And uh, Senka's like, I wonder why when we started to move forward, you asked why before anything else. You had something to do with this mysterious petrification, didn't you? Chrome looks out, looks into the scope and sees that there are a bunch of wiggly things. And he's like, OK, so this must be the seafloor. This must be this. There are these, But there's these jagged things right here. And he's like, there's a whole bunch of things underneath this. And uh, Senku and Oki are like, yep, that's exactly right. And this is one of the reasons, actually, that this is going to be very helpful for us on our voyage, which is that even if we do have a lot of food, we're going to need to pick up some fresh food along the way. There's a whole bunch of fish underneath us, and they are able to net a whole bunch of them with that. And yay, they've got radar and sonar. Huzzah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a cool little chapter. I, I do agree with some of the people that I'm not entirely sure the logical connection Senku follows to assume that this is, without a doubt, the person who's behind a petrification. Uh, mm. But it also could just be a power move to make the guess and then be like, act like he knows. And then when they run into them again, you know, there's some guarantee. Uh, but no, I'm still very like, I, I think this is a cool little chapter. Uh, I always like when they they do these kind of quick bits of science and then move it into the next area. I'm bummed because the last chapter had me like really excited to confront this person. But it's probably better to like tease that off for a little bit than just immediately move right into it. Um, So I think it's a fine chapter. Hmm. Yeah, um, I I think that they should have probably emphasize a little bit more ukiyo's role in this because he's just like oh right you're making sonar at a certain point isn't that your whole thing you're the sonar guy you listen to this in a submarine (laughs) how do you not know everything about this you should have been at this like in the very beginning is like oh i know what you're gonna do (laughs) hey uh senku what's this little blippy noise thing he's like didn't you fucking operate one beforehand hey senku what's this what's this metal tube you're gonna be putting underwater Hey, Senku, what's this kind of wet dirt thing that goes on forever? He's like, you mean the ocean? <laughs> oh, Shan, never heard of it. Hey, Senku, what's this uh, curved <laughs> stick you put a string on? That's a bow. That's the bow that came off of your back, actually. <laughs> a bow, huh? What wonders will cease to amaze me in this stone world? So you got it. You use this to hit stuff that's far away. He tries to throw it like a javelin. 
All right. Hey, Senku, what's this? <laughs> what's this vehicle-like thing that you've done? He's like, you mean like a structure? Never heard of one of those before. <laughs> they have a lot of those in the store. Why has this guy not got no wheels? It's in one place. <laughs> it moves around, you say. Fascinating. <laughs> Hey, Senku! <laughs> Just the way you say that opening line. What's me. all these noises that come out of my mouth? He's like, sounds? <laughs> <You> words? <laughs> He's like, holy shit, they have sounds back then. What a fucking country. Oh, why is he like a fucking newt? <laughs> hey, Senku! <laughs> why is he like a guido? <laughs> I got some question to ask you. <laughs> what is it, Ukyo? What's all these green things everywhere? You mean grass? <laughs> Holy shit. The science... They're everywhere. Earth. They got none underneath us. They stuck up underneath my feet. <laughs> we should put a vehicle in the ground here. To sense if there's any sounds going on. It's like, are you talking about a land submarine? <laughs> What the fuck's a submarine? <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the promised <laughs> Neverland. Hey, what have, we... have I told you I'm one of the five great minds of the kingdom? <laughs> Kroak is like, I am so sorry, Chrome, for ever doubting you. <laughs> hey, Senku, what's one of these? You mean a woman? Yeah. <laughs> It's hot! There's, they don't seem to be doing a lot around us lately. <laughs> I don't get it. They got dangle bits where I ain't got them, and then bits where I don't got them. What's up with that? Anyway. Moving on from that. Thank you. Okay, Chris. I need to stop. Okay. I'm going to be able to stop breathing soon. Promise Neverland. Chapter 125, Alliance of Liars. Very pretty little color page at the start. Very little Emma and Norman and, and Ray in this chapter. It's all about Norman's meeting with this new faction of demons. He's got Zazie there as his bodyguard who freaked out that they're kind of looking at them weird. He just says, hey, Zazie, don't, don't attack them yet. And the leader of their group says, hey, sorry, you just, I really want to eat you. You look, you look delicious. Um. And he's like, yeah, 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 I, I understand. But, I'm flattered, you know, but I'm, I know I'm tasty looking. But look, instead of eating us now, it would be far more beneficial for us to let us, for you to let us live and form an alliance. And that, that's the only way that you can obtain a life where you can eat meal meat easily. So where is the Lord? And the said Lord arrives. It's fucking huge. He is like thirty feet tall and hulking. And uh, he says, thanks for coming such a long way, William Minerva. And Norman greets him as Lord Gielan. Uh And he's like, unbelievably, you actually agreed to my demands when I said that I, you, sh you could only come alone with one subordinate the next time you came to meet with me. I can't believe you actually did that. And Norman says, well, we have to trust each other in order to form an alliance. And also he has Zazie present to him a whole bunch of demon heads. And he's like, here, make a meal of these. Have some fun. That's that's a little bit of a okay. Carrying a bunch of heads around. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Um, he's like, what the hell do you want us want from us? And what could you possibly offer to us? And Norman says he wants their strength of numbers. And he says, what I can give you is victory and the fulfillment of your revenge. I promise you the heads of the royal family and the current five regent houses that betrayed and ensnared you 700 years ago, causing your current appearance. If you exterminate the royal family and the five regent houses, you can reclaim central posts in the regime. After your revenge, this world would be yours. I want to make you king. All right, then what do you want? Uh, release of all the farm children and permission for us to self-govern. I don't intend to take away your food supply, though. I ask you release all the current children, but you can keep the farm facilities and you can do as you wish with the Rotri clan, whether you eat them or cultivate them. And uh, he's just like, yeah, so I'm going to give you all this stuff so that you can basically be the new demons of power as long as we are allowed to you know, be by ourselves and self-govern. And uh, he's like, ah, so you're getting you'd be, so you would also be getting revenge for of a thousand years or possibly for your banishment, James Rotry. And uh, they're like, yeah, well, I mean, they do have really strong ties to the royal family and the five region houses. They are a nuisance to us as well. If we could eat and erase them, we would kill two birds with one stone. And I was like, I've got a contract. Please sign. So he says. They have all the strategy, they have the intelligence to execute the plan, but they need manpower because, especially because humans are much physically weaker than them. In order to crush the current world, your strength is essential. You don't have the means to win on your own either, though. So, the Giran says, like, sure, I will keep your, we will keep your promise, let us join forces, but I will be trusting you and getting aboard your ship I will be putting your life, my life in your hands. Not just my life, but those of my entire clan. So what if you cannot keep this pact? If your strategy fails and you are unsuccessful in bringing us victory, what will you do then, Minerva? And Norman's just like, eh, you can eat us. Fair enough. Okay. Shake on it. So they head off from there. And Zazie's goes, <laughs> and Norman says, nah, nah, nah. This is all according to plan. Those demons are just pawns. This there will be. And he's like, we will win this revolution without spilling blood. He has a flashback to meeting with all of his you know, generals, I guess you could call them. And he says it will be war. If the children and demons collide, even at our best, we will have casualties, which is why we won't send the children to fight. And he plays around with the chessboard by having a black queen capture a black king and says, we will send demons to fight the demons. And they are. He's just like, yeah, we'll have them kill each other instead. Nice and easy. And he says, the Gielan clan is just one of my pawns. Meanwhile, Gielan is like, I'm sure he will be able to achieve it. And he like licks up some of the blood that Norman used to uh, to sign it. He's like, oh, it's so delicious. I want to eat him. And Norman's like, yeah, that guy's also lying. He has no intention of letting us live. And... One of the demons speaks up and is like, shouldn't James Rotary be dead? <laughs> He's really old, but he looked like a kid. Like, I don't know. Who cares? Uh, they're like, hey, couldn't he be like, you know, there are rumors that, you know, he's one of the high grades from Gracefield. What if he's one of them? And Geelan says, indeed, he is the meal of that even the king cannot eat. Hmm. So Norman's like, I know he wants to eat me. 
And after he has used us and gotten his revenge, he plans to kill me and eat me first. We're only helping each other on the surface. Inside, we're both trying to stab each other in the back. So go ahead and dream about killing and eating me, but we will be the ones to get the last laugh. Toad's not evil. <laughs> nope. Uh, I also like that he, like, his chess allegory is like, so we'll send demons to fight in our stead. And it's, I don't know what he does. It's like he moves the king and he puts the queen in instead. And I was like, I don't think that's the chess analogy you want. Can you imagine if, like, the others were just like, that's not how you play chess, Norman. Just shut up. This exactly. is how I beat Ray and Emma every time. If you don't explain. control of one of their pieces and how to capture their king. <laughs> They're like, shit, Norman's so good at this game where he explains the rules to us every time we play it. It's like playing chess with checkers with my cousin who, who would be like, oh, I just did a helicopter. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, do you know how chess works? I'm like, I'm, I know enough to know this isn't legal. He's like, yeah, if you can't, if you can't tell me the rule, it breaks and you can't do anything. House rules. You got helicoptered. Now I have some of my blue eyes white dragon and you can't move any of your pieces. <laughs> you two steps Wait a minute. Didn't you just summon a bunch of monsters in one turn? Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> this is the wrong game to summon monsters. He's like, and I've got a super king. It's like. It's a king that can go backwards in time. So if you capture it, I just go backwards and then I'll yeah. capture to capture your things. I've got infinite lives. I hacked it. Shit. Super King's really good. <laughs> How am I going to possibly stand up to this? Black Clover! Oh, we moving to Black Clover? Yes. Okay. Uh, this is a good chapter, Skip by the way. I, uh, no, I just I, I just wanted to note that I really like this chapter. Uh, sorry. Black Clover, page 195, Transformation. So, last time it was revealed that Charmy is a dwarf, and also half a werewolf, half dwarf. And she's got super powerful magic. Uh, but apparently that wasn't just enough to beat Rill. Like, despite the fact that it looked like she was completely dominating Rill, this chapter opens with Rill being like, I'm not stopped yet! And Charby's like, I guess we're gonna need Asta to win this fight! And I'm like, go fuck off. That's not, that is not what she says. <laughs> she does. She basically is like, Asta going in, I'm gonna, like, force beat this guy. I guess she's saying that she'll just eventually beat him at some point. Go on ahead. Fight someone more important. Yeah. Uh, We get a real clip uh, glimpse into the fight between Fada and um, Noel. But before that fight could even finish, uh, Jack the Ripper, (laughs) the great hero, shows up and is like, I found a woman worth slicing up. And I'm like, that's what a good guy. (laughs) I don't understand this (laughs) at all. <clears throat> they find David. I don't remember if this is the guy with the stupid fucking gambling gimmick. It may have been. I don't care. But Asta's like, go to go. I can sense you know. And we cut to that. You know shows up and uh yeah, he's there to face the three strongest members of the group, Rhea, Patry, and third person I don't know. And uh, third person. Well, you're not supposed to know who the third person is. That's okay. Yeah. So uh, Ronnie, as we find his name is, or I guess just Ron, probably. But I'm going to call him Ronnie because it's more affectionate that way. Oh, Uh, Ronnie. He basically they're like, we got to use light magic to to beat him. So Patrick fires off a whole bunch of light magic swords. And uh, and, uh, fucking, you know, it's too cool for that. Fuck you. Uh, So he just evades the attacks. And... uh, then he, he uses Manazone 
And he creates a spirit storm double and just blasts him. And he's like, ha ha. And uh, Ray is pretty blown away. He's like, wow, he's leveled up both his elf powers and his normal human power. In terms of sheer native talent, even leashed isn't this. Uh, and that's when Ronnie goes up and tries to grab him. And, uh, you know, you know, it's like, this is weird. No one's supposed to be better than me. I'm the best. I'm the best ever. Uh, and Ronnie just grabs his, uh, his magic stone and is like, this is mine now. Uh, but ask, or sorry, you know, as the great comeback of that's mine. Give it back. And uh, Ronnie says, yeah, now I can finally make things right. And uh, Raya. Raya, sorry. It's like, huh? Why were you lying? I could tell when somebody's lying, and you are. And uh, that's when he says, wait a minute. Who are you? And you see, like, a twisted grin from Ronnie before, boom! Rhea blasted in the stomach. And you're like, oh, don't tell me this incarnation is. But Rhea's dead. No one cares. He's dead and never coming back. Credits. Okay. So... I guess the elves were just such so bad at being villains. We needed to get better one to come in. We needed to upgrade. Yeah. This is like, you know, when freaking Madara showed up in the last arc of Naruto and was like, no, Abito, you're not good enough. I'm going to be the final villain now. And then Kaguya took over instead of him. Like, I hope that uh, Ronnie's power is he can use several different magics at once. <laughs> maybe, maybe two, potentially a third, uh, but he can use them both very deftly. And he does it by, you know, being in two different places at once with his, uh, <laughs> yeah, his weird teleportation ability. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what to think. This, this like, this sequence of, of chapters recently have been kind of all over the place, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess both, we'll see. both, you know, as writing and also in terms of location. So, yeah, <laughs> but jumping around quite a bit. It's a little bit hard to get the bearings. All right, Chris, it's the start of the month. That means it's time for World Trigger. World Trigger! World Trigger! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that not to like jump in too much into this chapter. But that we basically got two chapters explained to us how fucking rumors work. And that's yeah. that's the arc for Trigger this month. Pretty much. I fucking love oh, it. Amazing yeah. series. But they, they do spend like six pages explaining the logistics of rumors. Chapter 176. It's not a part. <laughs> it's not a part something, Chris. Nope. It's just it's Eizo Netsuki. This is that's, just... That's, loser dude first chapter yeah so uh everyone is kind of you know recovering from uh hey we won that uh that point mail so they talk about what they're going to, to do next and uh, uh osami says hey you want to like watch the night match and uh hugh says nah 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 we're gonna watch it later and yuma says yeah we're gonna go do some solo rank battles instead uh chica's gonna go hang out with izuho and uh, so they're like, all right, well, we'll uh, we'll meet up later then. So uh, instead, uh, Shuri and uh, Osamu walk off and they're like, hey, hey, good job. Yeah, we did really well. And uh, you against all those high ranking squads, good stuff. And, you know, all that effort with Hughes really paid off. 
hey, so that bad feeling you had before the match, is that gone? And Osamu says, no, it actually hasn't at all. And you're like, huh, I wonder what it is. Because, like, even Chica seemed to do well. I mean, you and Hughes had that disagreement, but everyone seemed satisfied at the end of everything. You seemed to make up and understand each other. And all of a sudden, he gets a message from Kikuchihara. Oh, man, it's been a while since we've really heard from this guy, isn't it? Kikuchihara says, hey, congrats on your win. You didn't really stand out much, though. And uh, Shiro's like, ah, he's being obnoxious. But Osamu messages back saying, hey, hey, hey I mean, we, we won. But something is bothering me, so I'm not sure what it is. Kikuchihara says, well, maybe it's you feel you don't have anything to contribute with that new guy there. And he's like, well, our next opponent is probably going to be very wary of his Eskido tactics and choose a more uh, an, ex- an exterior map instead. And that means that I'll be able to use my wire strategy and lead men will use the lead bullet sniping. So I think that things are going to be different next time. And Kikuchihara is meanwhile hanging out in like a food court somewhere. And he's, and he's like, eh, yeah, OK, he gets it. Then he overhears something oh. and uh, he overhears some people at a different table and says something that uh, really catches his attention. And he calls a few, or he calls someone who calls someone rather fucking uh, it's Karasuma, right? I think it's this, this guy who calls Usami. No, I'm trying to they say That's Ute the- is his name. I'm trying to remember what he's from. Yeah. So he calls up Usami. And says, uh, yeah, Kikuchihara was hearing some C-rankers in the lounge, and they are saying, hey, maybe Tomokuma's new oh, guys. Wait. Is he is he the other member of Cosmo Squad? <laughs> I think so. I think he's the third member of Cosmo Squad. It's been a long time since I've seen a lot of these people, Chris. <laughs> yeah. A reread may be in order for me, just in order to remember who all these different border members are. But he's he explains that Kichihara had overheard the C ranker saying, hey, maybe Tamakoma's new guy is a neighbor. And so he called to ask her, yeah, that guy's history hasn't been made public, right? Uh, Usami reports this to Osamu and he's like, oh, my God, that's it. This is the uneasy feeling I had. The problem is that Hughes is standing out too much. No matter how well he performs, the bad feeling of mine isn't going to go away. So either, you know, he performs poorly or he performs well and stands out and people start to take notice of him and wonder where the hell he came from. So that's the, the, the feeling that he's got. So like, all right, well, what can we do about it though? And Usami says, it's not like the kids have proof, but things could get out of hand if the rumor spreads. So Osama thinks of the advice that he got from Jin do not waver. And he's like, all right, I, I've got to go. And so he requests to have a meeting with the PR department with Azunetsuki, the director of the PR department. And he's like, ah, okay, here you are. Meanwhile, Ozma's there as well. He's like, what the hell is that? So Netsuki says, you're here about the rumors they're spreading about Hughes. Yeah, Captain Kazama's already informed me about it. Uh, this is a big reason why I didn't want him to go on a squad. But all right, uh, if you got a request for me, then let's hear it. And he's like, could you formally repudiate the rumor? He's like, no, that will make it worse because then we'll have answered to random hearsay. And then people will be like, well, what the hell's going on? Because we so we freaking denied it. So it's going to it's this is a little bit tricky. If we start publicly lying also to get past this, then that's going to carry a bunch of risks. So Samu apologizes for, you know, just randomly asking this. And he's like, no, 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 it's OK. You have your job to do. Protecting Border's reputation is our job. So we'll fight fire with fire. And Osama correctly, reali- correctly assumes that he means they're going to start a different rumor. He's like, yes, 
We will spread the rumor that Hughes, Tamakomatu's newest agent, is a relative of Tamakoma's chief engineer, Kroinen. We recruit him because of his extraordinarily high trial levels. And this is illustrated by having a picture of human form Hughes with a Canadian flag behind him wearing a t-shirt that reads, From Canada. They're like, that's pretty flawless. But look, he's wearing a shirt that says, From Canada. He must be from Canada. <laughs> so... Then we'll say, like, the plan was to have him join Tamakoma 1 to fill Jin's spot. But when Jin slid back into A rank from S rank, Hughes was transferred to Tamakoma 2 instead. That is the story that we will float. Captain Ozma will seem to be the one spreading it. And someone's like, well, why Ozma? It's like, well, we can't have you spread it. So anyway, our new rumor is... Like, look, the original rumor is flashier and more newsworthy, so we can't take control of the narrative unless this one seems more credible. It's a bunch of kids saying it as opposed to it's Captain Ozma spreading it. And they're going to do this stuff like we'll have, you know, people say that they heard something from Ozma, like they overheard Ozma say something. And we'll have this circulate during the, the joint sniper training uh, the next day. And then if anyone goes to Ozma to confirm it, he'll just be like, eh, it sounds passable. And that way it will seem more credible as a result. That way they don't need to reveal Hughes' identity to anyone. And Netsky even says, I'll take any responsibility if it does come up that, you know, I ordered Ozma to spread the rumors. So I'll show her that. And uh, Osama's like, oh, wow, you've got everything ready to go. Okay. And they've even got like this document says like everyone memorize this so that you can all have the story straight. Um, and although he does say to Osamu, you know, it's it's good that, you know, you actually like actually thought to come to us this time oh. right away. So it's cool. It's growing. Before the chapter ends, before Osamu leaves, Osamu stops and says, hey, you know, I'm a Tori. How is she doing? And then we, of course, start off the next chapter. Ah, that's more like it. It's part 17 of Osamu Mikumo. <laughs> um, the reason that, is, that Azuma is worried is because Chika hit somebody during the match. And he's wondering how that has affected her. And Asama's like, it doesn't seem to have really affected her. She seems to be doing okay. Uh, but he brings up like, you know, I know someone who won't shoot others like Amatori. And Osama, of course, knows the story of Hatahara at this point. And he's like, yeah, you know, when Hanahara accidentally shot someone, it took a big toll on her. And she threw up. She slept for days. That's why I was concerned about her. Are you sure she's okay? Um, And interestingly, Osama's like, so what happened when her shots happened to hit people? Did it always affect her that much? And Osama's like, people? Well, persons. (laughs) She only ever missed once. (laughs) I do love how... There's just this casual badassery for these different border agents. He's like, oh, no, you're mistaken. You see, it could happen to you because you throw tactical nukes at buildings. But (laughs) Hadahara just didn't miss people. Yeah. She would always just disarm them instead. Uh, But he just says because of that precedent, I mean, maybe it's a different matter because she blew stuff up instead of actually hitting someone with a bullet. But just keep an eye on her. Um, and he also brings up, hey, you know, it's it's been almost a month since that press conference when you said you were going to make it on the onto the away mission. And at the time, I mean, I didn't really think you, you stood a chance because of how far behind you were in points. But I guess you already had that plan to bring Hughes in uh, at the time. And I was like, uh, yeah, 
and uh, they all the preparations are now done, and uh, they're like memorize this, then destroy it, and uh, Osamu then like kind of not more really apologizes. He says. One of my agents says found himself in hot water and I should have seen that coming. So as the captain giving orders, this was my mistake. So excuse me. And so they're like, huh, it's interesting that he's taking responsibility for that. But <laughs> I like how Ozma gives him the credit for it. But Nizma's just like, maybe he's just trying to save his own skin by, you know, kind of, you know, make himself look a little bit better that way instead. Ozma, however, realizes like, you know, I think that he was trying to Jin, bring Jin onto the team before uh, before Hughes. So I think that he's kind of always had this uh, this plan of sorts set to go. Everyone memorizes the script that Netsuki's got. Izuho is there with Chika. I've missed her. Where's her cat? Um, oh, we I didn't see notice it later. the cat's... Oh, okay. <laughs> we see it later. But uh, Izuho actually says that she had, was able to figure out how the rumor started. And it turns out that people were just, you know, saying stuff like, hey, what if that new guy's a neighbor? It was just pure speculation. And then the one guy claimed to say, oh, I saw him during the invasion. He's he's definitely a neighbor. Someone just showed up and fanned the flames that way. And so uh, Konami says, well, do you think they actually saw him? And Izuha's like, probably not, because I've got really good eyesight, and we were too far away to get a good look at his face. Uh, I recognized, you know, Yuma by his, you know, hair color, but that's it. And looking at Hughes now, I would not suspect that he was that guy. So probably someone just made a big wild, wild leap, and Hughes just says, yeah, I mean, that's how rumors are. You know, outrageous ones gain, gain traction. So they're like, okay, well, we've got a strategy to fight this. Anyway... We've also just gotten word that of our opponents for the next Rank Wars battle. We've got Nidamiya Squad, Ikoma Squad, and you know, some assholes. <laughs> I don't think we've ever even met Yuba Squad at this point. Um, uh, which one? Yuba Squad. No, if it's the if it's the Rank Seven one, we haven't actually met them yet. But Ikoma and Nidamiya. So uh, you were right on the money with those two uh, in your prediction last month. So. Huzzah! <laughs> Free pizza. That is not what we agreed on. Oh, damn. I really wanted it. Next day comes joint sniper training. We see people spreading the rumors around from Ozma Squad and stuff. And uh, we also see Zuho's cat. And uh, she, the cat jumps over to stupid hat girl's head. Akane! Stupid hat girl. Aww. So... Um, rumor makes the rounds among the snipers. They'll spread it to other people. Uh, that's basically it. Um, then Konami invites the people who are in Tamakoma 2 to go out to eat. Uh, not, but only if a handful of them are actually there. It's uh, Usami, Chika, and Osamu. And, uh, she's like, hey, you know, you, uh, you know, I'll, it'll be my treat. Don't eat a whole bunch of expensive stuff. <laughs> Uh, and they head out to eat, but they happen to come across Nidamiya Squad. Dun, 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 dun. I hope they start a bar fight. Like, <laughs> just completely out of character for this series. <laughs> Break chairs over each other's heads. Take this, you fuck! I mean, so, I, I think we're going to get an interesting, like, discussion there. It's weird that how much of World Trigger sometimes follows, like, a, a formula where it's like rank wars 
conversation in an eating establishment into like next preparations into rank wars into conversation eating establishment it just like i i can almost guarantee next next month we're gonna get the the meeting here and then we're gonna get pre-battle discussion plans yeah and then sometime in summer we'll actually start the next rank war match (laughs) i guess we'll see which is still a huge benefit because we were you know two years running with nothing so not very excited for this and i'm actually super excited to see what happens here because i'm interested to see how ninomiya handles this because the last time we actually the last time these characters met he was a supreme mega asshole to everybody but after the last chapter it seems that He's actually changed his opinion on them slightly, but I wonder if that'll come across at all, or if he's just going to still be a mega cock smear to them. This is his everything. character. He's a heel. He is, but he seems to have like a very straightforward dickishness to him. So I'll yeah. be curious to see if it's pulled back at he's all. Be true to himself, or if he's just like, "Fuck you, losers! I'm gonna, I'm just gonna <laughs> monkey stomp the shit out of you in the next match as soon as it starts." Uh. All right. Well, guys, we had some weird shit to talk about this week. We had World Trigger, which means it's always good. So we are going to close things out now. Yes. Uh, naming our MVPs and favorite series of the week. What you got, Chris? Uh, MVP uh, series of the week I'm going to be giving to my hero. I think it was a really cool mm. chapter. It got me kind of excited for the, the series again. And it was kind of just a very, like well-compressed way of like introducing new villain and giving us all the context we need to kind of have an idea about him. Mm. Uh, and an MVP I'm going to give Norman from, from promise Neverland. We didn't talk mm. about it a, t- a lot, but I really do like that. It's like, we've got another scenario on his hand where it's like a, a mental chess game going on. Yeah. He is definitely working to try and earn that. Uh, I am the chess master thing as opposed to just, you know, sitting at a board and moving yeah. pieces around. Yeah. Uh, my favorite series this week was The Last Sayuki. Blew me out of the water. Love to see more. And uh, MVP I'm going to give to Kurisu, which I never thought in a thousand years that oh, I would do. Oh, it happened, boys! Uh, every now and again, some something comes out of We Never Learned that makes Chris seem less foolish for saying that it's better than Nisekoi. And I think that we've reached a point where now it's like, okay, when it's when it's good, it's definitely better. It just kind of sinks to deeper lows yeah. than Nisekoi did. Like the last Jedi. I mean, there was that really, you know, boring casino planet, I guess. But whatever. Uh, I will also note that World Trigger won the audience poll. And I don't know how this is, but there's a tie for MVP between Osamu and fucking Netsuki from World Trigger. (laughs) I guess people just really like World Trigger. (laughs) There you go. It's a tie between the two of them. There's a reason why the podcast is not a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> Smashcast.tv slash RoloT. Twitch.tv slash RoloT is where you can watch the live broadcast of the show. We start Mondays around. We start things up at like, what, 730 Eastern time. You can come in, listen to all the anime music and stuff like that. Or whatever 90s pop songs Chris feels like playing instead. I played mostly uh, Smash Brothers remixes this week. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. I almost played the new Carly Rae Jepsen, John, though. So you're welcome. What a, what a connoisseur you I, are, sir. I have very eclectic garbage tastes. <laughs> I'm every kind of garbage mixed together. 
If you want to listen to our catalog of past episodes, you can go to weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. You can also go on our YouTube channel and on iTunes. If you can do check us out in those places, we'd appreciate if you give us the like, thumbs up, the subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Help out the algorithm. Help us to be to rise to the top of the hobby section and dethrone the woodworkers. If you'd like to send us feedback, you can join our Discord channel. We have a number of different channels in there, including one where Ninja X3i maintains every single series that we get recommended and cover and all that good stuff. We really appreciate the work you do for that because then we don't have to. Uh, (laughs) It's very helpful to get new recommendations on there. Uh, If you see that someone has recommended a series that you do also want us to cover, then chime in on that. It definitely helps us to make a decision to know that multiple people want us to cover a certain series. Absolutely. You can also send us questions for a future Q&A episode or just send regular feedback to us to weeklymongrecap at yahoo.com. And, of course, we want to give a special bonus thanks to the people who make our bonus episodes possible, uh, our Patreon supporters. Check us out, patreon.com slash recap. Our bonus episode this coming week is going to be on a card game, a trading card game. You know what? I didn't even realize that it kind of lines up with us doing Yu-Gi-Oh! But, yeah, uh, as we announced in the bonus podcast for last month, this month's going to be an As Explained by Manga, where I explain to Nick, or at least attempt to, uh, explain the current Magic the Gathering storyline, and we're going to have some special help from somebody who the listeners of Dice Funk will know is also very into Magic the Gathering. Mm. So we're we're going to be having that. Yeah, it's good that we uh, had that totally intentional, um, mat, you know, trading card month happen. Yeah. Oh, shit. Why don't we do that? Why don't we just have trading card month? Trading card month. <laughs> and then we I'm talk sure that there. Fucking, I'm uh, sure that there are other series that we could talk that we could cover that are trading card uh, related. Or so. we or we just stop reviewing manga and we just watch garbage anime about card games for a month. Why not? You yeah, know let's what? watch Beyblades. It's close enough. I'm like it's like a card game, probably. And of course, we want to thank Steve Manor, Tile Card Artist, and Infamous Planet for whatever the hell you do. Uh, so that is going to do it. Chris, you have anything that we uh, want to close on? Uh, well, let's just go right back to the new treasured bit of uh, Ukyo ass Senku about some science we should already <laughs> hey, know. Hey, Senku! Hey, Senku! I got a question over here. What's this red stuff coming out of my arm? That's your blood. You should really get that looked at. Oh, it's crazy. They make blood on the outside now. <laughs> hey, Senku! Why does it hurt? Why does what hurt? Statement ended. Why does it hurt? <laughs> I hate this guy. All right, that's it, everybody. Bye. <laughs>